Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tina. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Body Love Construct, where we have intelligent, opinion-based conversations around reconstructing the generational conditioning that has influenced Black women's narratives about themselves. Through our discussions, we hope you find something that gets you to thinking about the stories you've formed about yourself and determine if perhaps it's time to rethink a few things. So Lisa, you know, we've been taught, we had decided to do some personal narratives about things that we're, that are important to us individually or what we're working on. And although we still don't know how we met, <laughs> I know it had to do with what you were doing with food. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it was really about food, meaning what you put into your body. But we, over the t- times that we've been together, we've also talked about nourishment. That nourishment is not doesn't all mean consuming food, mm-hmm. and what does nourishment mean? And with the body love construct, you know, what does that nourishment mean? So, you know, it's open to talk about, you know, what's your, what's your, what's happening? What's going on with you and food these days? Yes, well, food is always the center of my universe because I'm a foodie and I just. And I love to cook and I love to entertain. So it is a huge part. But the way that it kind of came to the forefront was sort of around the way. Because in the beginning, okay, there's so many pieces to this story. So I'm going to try to make them <laughs> not confusing. Sometime after law school, I decided to become a life coach. And I went to life coach training and got that certification. And then I also, I was a professional belly dancer at the time, and I was trying to enhance my dance. And the process led me, I was looking for a sensual connection or I guess like a, a not physical realm of it, the, how you feel the expression of dance. And so somehow I, I stumbled on to the practice of Tantra, which is a spiritual path that is sort of like the quickest way I could describe it is like a sensual yoga. But it wasn't just about asanas or positions. It was a lot of mindfulness, breath work, intention, and basically evolved into a whole lifestyle. And so that I decided to kind of combine the two. And and I had life coaching from a tantric perspective. And over that time, I had some clients, but then I also had a lot of craziness because Tantra became the the way it was introduced to the mainstream was about sex magic and this orgasms that last all day and night or something like that with sting and some crazy stuff which is not what I was doing I was doing more of a practice that was similar more similar to yoga and, and with the same purpose in mind not to be having sex and orgasms all day and all night and things like that so I was introduced to Tantra as a sexual as well. You're saying there is something else. Yes. The the sexual component of Tantra is small because of the fact that sexuality is a part of sensuality. It's just a part. To me, sensuality, it, it, it was the most vivid expression of sensuality to me was food and eating. It wasn't sex, although sex is, you know, somewhere close, but food was the thing because you, everybody had to 
has to eat. Everybody doesn't have to engage in these sexual things. But it, it, the thing about it is it wasn't negative if you look at it realistically as a part of what, it, what Tantra is. It was just, it kind of took over. There was some series on HBO that was horrible that just was like a bunch of freaks. <laughs> Are you talking about the HBO thing? Was that it was on sex something? Yeah. It used to come on every, like after 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That messed me up. So trying to offer this life coaching from a tantric perspective became a little more difficult for me because everybody was coming to me. Like I literally had somebody come to me and straight ask me to teach them sex magic. I was mm. like, I can't. And they didn't believe me. They thought that I was just saying it so that I wouldn't get in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, some doing something as illegal. A sex worker? Yeah, <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was not a sex worker. So. Offering sexual massages and that sort of thing. Mm. It was hilarious. But so I kind of backed off from that for a period of time. And what happened is food came to the forefront because of the fact that every time we would get into these conversations, food would come up. Food is such a huge part of our lives that it doesn't really matter what problem or issue you're working on. Food somehow has a little bit of a connection to it. And most recently, I've learned that how you are about food is how you are about everything. And when I first heard that, I was, I was looking to challenge it. I was like, but, but then I was like, you know, kind of makes sense. If you're out of control with food, you're out of control with it. If you are regimented about food, you're kind of regimented about everything and the way you're thinking. And so that was, that was, that was a more recent discovery with me. But somewhere in between, this food started coming up. And I realized that I would get so excited and the energy would just rise in the room whenever the idea of food came about. And then I used it as a lot of metaphors with, for sensuality with, with my clients that I had. And so I kind of, started going in the direction of the food. And that's when I realized that we have a lot of issues around food and dieting and trying to control the size and shape of our bodies and things like that. And I wanted to fight against it because to me, that was the direct opposite of the message, the entire sort of my message. My message was to enjoy, to relax and allow this and, and, the way we've been taught about food was to strict and, you know, limit and basically control and take the joy out of life completely. It was just well, uh, joy out of eating. Yeah. Well, when you take the joy out of eating, what, what, what's that? <laughs> You're not having fun. Yes. <laughs> well, you. <laughs> That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that needs to be explored. <laughs> But most recently, I, um, I do, I, I've always been, you know, still working on this and still working on it. And then I found that once I made that discovery that the way you are with food is kind of how you are with everything, I realized that I needed to broaden my perspective if I was going to try to help women and particularly black women. And I always wanted to help black women because I have the same perspective as, as a black woman and also because we are often overlooked in any, you know, we're not the majority in the country, so we're, we're overlooked. So whenever, if you were a black woman and you had a problem with, you know, say, you know, food and, and eating disorders, it's going to look a little bit different or your solutions are going to look a little bit different than the mainstream because we, 
we don't, because we're culturally different, you know, where we come from and, and our families and, and our traditions. So it looks different. And that's why I was really focused on helping Black women in particular as a Black woman. But then I also discovered that when I, you know, still going back to that, how you are about food is how you are about everything. There are Black women who are trying to control every single part of their lives. And it, debilitating to to try to do that, especially when we already have a set of challenges that we have to overcome and operate within. To be able to, to have to control every single aspect of your life, it's extremely stressful. And to me, stress is the driving force behind illness, whether it's mental illness or physical illness. It's just a it's just something that is, it may not may or may not be causal, but there's always that that connection somewhere. So I really wanted to address that. And as I had been addressing that, I found more that first of all, I was I was shocked in some ways of some of the things that black women, other black women were going through. We just had a, a different a different episode of the Body Love Construct, and we were talking about the beauty pageant effect and how. It kind of went just uh, beyond me. I, did, I, I just never even noticed it. So I was a little blindsided to the fact that we're also affected by these things just because I wasn't particularly, and I guess I was just, I don't know, I, I guess I'm resistant <laughs> on a lot of levels. I just was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. But not everybody had that luxury. And then the other thing is that I grew up in, you know, for my younger years in a completely black community mm-hmm. i wasn't in a an integrated place i mean everybody was black the neighborhood was black the school was black the teachers were black everybody was black so i didn't i didn't see the same different perspectives that other black women did who lived in places that were more integrated or more diverse mm-hmm. and so right now i am noticing that black women are tired and one thing that is causing this fatigue is this superwoman kind of, I mean, every we've talked about this before, you know, we are like invincible and we have to do it all. And, you know, the, the strong black woman trope. And people are dis- d- discovering that not only is it a lie, but it's also, it's also wearing us down and causing negative effects. And in the process of that, I thought, well, you know, that kind of, there's a connection here with mantra because part of that is acceptance. Acceptance means you're not trying to do everything, control everything and be everything. Acceptance is you're just gonna sit here and you're gonna be. Mindfulness and intention, even though intention has some connection to control, but it's not control as in I'm out here trying to hustle and run every business and try to compete against other people in the corporate world and everywhere else. So that's what I'm working on right now. That's my project right now is, Mm -hmm. you know, I found that there's a sister in Nigeria who coined the term soft life. And I just, I, I was I don't know, I was reading something else when I ran across it. And 
for some people, soft life means la- life of luxury and opulence. But then there's a larger soft life definition, which really includes the lack of stress and struggle and illness. And to me, that's that's it. That's the bullseye. <laughs> that's what yeah. I, I decided that that's where I want to focus my energy. And I found that it's very it's very popular right now. Women are talking about it and are, and recognizing I don't have to go out and convince people that this is something that they need to work on. People are realizing, look, I'm tired. You know, even the young women in the 20s all the way up to the 60s yeah. are tired. And so I want to help women get that energy, get that creativity to mold their lifestyles to something that works for them and not having to be performative for anyone else. Mm-hmm. So when we started, first started talking, I mentioned the fact that food is, is nourishment, but there are other things that nourish our bodies. So are you thinking, feeling, is there a connection between the word nourishment and the soft life you're talking about? And yes. how so? That there's a definite connection. The soft life requires nourishment. Both, I mean, from food, from movement, from pleasure, from everyday joy. And so nourishment can come from anywhere that you want it to come from or where you need it to come from. And I didn't really realize back, you know, back before that some people are resistant to allowing pleasure in their everyday lives. And part of it is kind of, taught by a sort of puritanical history and it's detrimental it's detrimental on so many different levels that it has to be rethought because and and this isn't just for black women this is for women in general it just speaks to you know we talked about another episode about this narrative being sort of the journey and the stories that go with it the narratives are laid down if that's what it is, that there's this restriction, that that's what their narrative, sort of the foundation of it, keeps them from being open to something new, mm-hmm. something different. Right. Something that may be so right for them, but they're resisting it because of these imaginary rules. And the the thing about it is I don't have a personal story of necessarily being in that that way that that I don't accept pleasure in everyday life it kind of my story is more about me rejecting the idea that I had to follow rules mm-hmm. and these rules they, they come from all kinds of different places there was school how you had to behave in school i wasn't a kid that misbehaved but when I when my mind took me somewhere, I was creative, but I was also in my own world. Mm-hmm. To this day, I still operate in my own world. And so I remember this one time I was in a, it was like first grade or second grade, and I was working on some art project, and I was deep in this art project. It was like everything right then and there. And I looked up, and everybody was gone. It's a class of like 32 kids <laughs> and the teacher. And I was all by myself, like, how did this happen? Because I was into whatever it was. I wasn't trying to stop 
And they went to, I don't know where they went, music or something like that. <laughs> I, was, I was terrified because I was left in the classroom. But that's kind of like how things worked in my life. I just kind of did things. And sometimes I got in trouble. Yeah. And sometimes I didn't. But as I got older, getting in trouble meant less and less to me. And my pleasure meant more and more to me. And and it's, it's taken all, you know, several different forms. I mean, for example, another thing is like, you know, my parents and family was about, about food that you had to eat. Now, I love food, but I don't love all food. Right. And so it was dinner time and they, they were, you know, something was on the plate. Like I really hated peas because they came from a can and they were horrible. And I just was like, there's no pleasure in eating this. I'm not going to eat it. It wasn't the same as me with beets. Beets I can't eat. I just can't tolerate. But peas were just nasty and I didn't want them. And so I would just do everything possible to not eat them. And, and this caused like wars in the house. Well, you know, you and I have talked before about what are the things we have in common, although we probably we use different words. Yours may be rebellion, mine is not conformance. And I think that when we talk about narratives and stories and foundations on a narrative, the resistance that we both have to what is the norm has mm -hmm. been with us. I think you probably started expressing yours a little more outwardly than I did when I was younger, <laughs> but it was there mm -hmm. and it came out in different ways. And it's still that way now mm -hmm. that I just don't accept things on face value yeah. anymore. You know, there's a, a question for, for something or questioning how the standards are just not acceptable. And I know that we both think that way that, yeah, we get very absorbed in what we're doing and very focused mm -hmm. on it. And I, and I can't say that I was always that way, but I know that I'm now more so than ever. Yeah. And I was fortunate to be allowed on some, in some levels, I was allowed because in, in some ways, you know, like the whole food thing, there was a fight. But then there was other things such as religion that kind of expected a fight and I didn't get it. Yeah. And so what basically what happened is, you know, my family is Baptist. Mm -hmm. And at 12 years old, I guess you can get baptized. Right. And this whole time I was thinking to myself, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I'm in my head thinking, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? How am I going to get out of this? Because I'm not doing that. And the day came when, I don't know what that day was, but I remember it was springtime. So maybe it was after my 12th birthday in the beginning of the year. And I basically said, I don't want to do it to my grandmother. And I was so scared that, you know, something bad would happen. Although my grandmother never did anything bad to me. She didn't even say threatened it but she never did that <laughs> but I was really worried like what would happen and she said okay and that was the end of the conversation I was like wow that was incredible and then many years later I I expressed to my mom that I was not Christian and expected like something to happen and <laughs> nothing happened and so it was such a huge relief for me because in a lot of our lives, religion is the biggest rule creating force. And once it was, I was free from that, oh, oh, now the world is open. I have to 
I don't have to be, I'm not Christian, so I don't have to worry about all the rules. I think that something you said a little earlier, like for us to explain another, another episode is growing up in a black neighborhood and that being also the foundation for where your narrative and your choice versus the first word. I had both. You're saying you and so I think we need to explore that a little further on another day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually I did have both but my, my youngest years yeah. it was that and then yeah. until I moved away to a military base. Okay, so we definitely have yeah. to talk because I had the same thing. It was started out one way, moved to the military base and then it we completely different. <laughs> okay. So that yeah. will be another topic for yeah. another day. Stay tuned for that one. But yeah, I thank you for you know sharing what you're doing. I'm interested in in knowing as we progress along about the soft life. When I hear soft life, it's like I <laughs> and just relax and just do. But and I think I already practiced, but I'm interested in it, learning more as we go along. I'm sure people as we. Go along with the episodes, you'll get more information about what Lisa's doing and uh, how she's progressing with the self life. So, generational love is like generational body love. I keep forgetting to put that body in there. Generational <laughs> body love is like generational wealth. We must pass it on. Till the next time. Bye bye. No? Oh, wait a minute. Stop. It didn't go. Did it do anything? No.